0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult Rx Podcast. Cole's with me again, and uh, no students once again, just Cole and I.
1: No students, no AJ?
0: No AJ, that's
1: right. AJ's already been fired. <laughs> what are we going to do? I don't know if this—if we can even record this thing. That's true.
0: I had to hit play all by myself, which is yeah. extremely annoying. Did we hit record? I guess that's the we most did. important We did. I'm actually question. watching that, so.
1: Okay, yeah, fantastic. Because I don't have
0: AJ here to watch it, so <laughs> AJ had to go on vacation.
1: <laughs> he can't <laughs> push his button. No, he can't. Though so. he does push a lot of buttons he during does. during for video. That's all right. We might
0: we might hire him back when he gets back from vacation. We'll see. Yeah, to so, be determined. So quiet in here. It is. It's kind of weird. It's freaking yeah. me out. But today, um, we are going to. Continue, I think I would say a trend almost. We've had uh, a few women's health topics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, was it yesterday? It was like women's health. I'm um, sorry, women's pharmacist day. It wasn't. I th- believe so. I know um, that next
1: week is like pharmacist week.
0: I, I think it was actually um, women of pharmacy, like day, whatever they call it. So. In honor of that may Uh, or may not be holiday, we're going to celebrate by doing another Women's off
1: topic. This is in honor of that and in honor of Pharmacy Week. There you go. We get a whole week. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: But we're going to talk through um, menopausal hormonal therapy today. And so uh, I know we've done some contraception episodes and some meds during pregnancy and and whatnot recently. But um, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit and uh, hopefully kind of break this down based on some symptoms and kind of give you at least some guidance on where to go. Obviously this is a specialized, um, area of medicine, but we'll give you some, hopefully, uh, decent tips and tricks that you can utilize.
1: Yeah, specialized but not an uncommon thing to encounter,
0: right? Definitely not. Um, and we are going to kind of stick to, like, the FDA-approved, like, medications and all that, mm-hmm. so we do need to do an episode, um, which we'll probably bring in somebody for that, but we need to do an episode where we do a hormonal, like, compounding and stuff like that, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll put that on the back
1: burner. That's a whole nother situation. Yes.
0: But, uh, yeah, so as far as, you know, getting started today... Um, yeah, you know, we'll kind of do some background information and in just basic definition. Which menopause is unfortunately a very you know natural progression in the you know process of aging for women, and um, you know the there's a few different kind of I guess categories if you will where we have perimenopause, um, which is the you know sort of the transition period um, that eventually leads to uh, menopause and postmenopause, and that can kind of begin eight to ten years or so before actual menopause takes place, and it's where the 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 ovaries are just gradually producing less estrogen as, as those years go by. Um, however, the patient is still having a menstrual cycle, uh, and can actually get pregnant as well. Um, and then perimenopause lasts up to the point of, of menopause. Uh, menopause is that point in, in which the uh, patient is no longer having a menstrual period. Um, and basically the ovarian follicular activity has, has stopped along with the production of, you know, most of the, the estrogen. Um, and it's diagnosed officially when a, a patient has, has gone without a period for 12 consecutive months um, and yep. obviously meets the criteria, you know, the age, the age, you know, expectancy and all that stuff. Obviously, amenorrhea can be right. um, a completely separate thing. So, this is obviously happening in older patients typically.
1: Right. And uh, there are some common uh, symptoms that they're going to experience that you can expect, um, and they can happen during the perimenopause period and it can definitely uh, substantially impact their health and kind of their their daily function. So there's vasomotor symptoms like hot flashes and night sweats. That's probably what you most commonly associate with uh, menopause. That occurs in up to 80% uh, of women and symptoms last about 7 to 10 years, so that perimenopause period. Um, On average, they report having about 4 to 5 hot flashes per day. They can have as many as 20 hot flashes per day. It's a lot of hot flashes. Um, 30%, so about a third, experience uh, some psychological symptoms, and it can be severe, like depression and anxiety. Uh, about half report moderate to severe symptoms in sleep disturbance, joint pain, headache, um, and sexual dysfunction. A large majority experience sexual dysfunction as well uh, during this period.
0: Uh, another sort of... Uh Condition you may hear is the um, genitourinary syndrome of menopause, or GSM, um, and that's sort of like this collection of symptoms that are basically all stemming from that decrease in estrogen, um, as well as like other sex steroids, and uh, that leads to changes in not only physiological, um, you know, response, but also anatomical in some cases as well. And so patients will have, um, you know, vaginal dryness or burning or irritation. Um, you know, from a sexual standpoint, um, they could have lubrication difficulty, um, dis- discomfort or pain, um, you know, or, or impaired sexual function altogether. Um, urinary symptoms, you know, start, could start to arise where you have like urinary urgency, um, even dysuria. Um, you could have start having recurrent urinary tract infections. Um, and it's something that uh, a lot of times Women may not even be aware that these symptoms are related to menopause, and that um, you know these symptoms are just something that le- are left untreated, or you know they they do certain things to kind of go after certain aspects of the symptoms or certain symptoms out of the whole mm-hmm. condition, um, but not you know looking at potential uh, ways of, of sort of controlling the the symptoms from their source, if you will.
1: Right. And it's not just those symptoms. So along with those symptoms. The loss, overall loss of estrogen can have significant effects on metabolic changes. So changes in body composition, cognition, lipids, vascular function, uh, bone metabolism. Uh, and frequently it results in weight gain. So a significant increase in central abdominal fat uh, specifically. And a weight gain of about an average of, of 5 pounds. Also skin changes, uh, decreased thickness, elasticity, Loss of collagen and wrinkles, um, and hair changes, including alopecia. Um, but also, it can affect cognition. So, poor concentration, um, memory, uh, poor cognition, and memory are common during menopause, during the transition, and during the early postmenopausal phase uh, as well. So, you know,
0: working a patient up for, um, obviously, based on their symptoms and their, um, you know, the age and all that kind of thing, um, some laboratory tests that can also kind of give us some insight. Um, so follicle stimulating hormone FSH, um, typically we expect FSH you know, to be greater than 10 to 12, um, on day two to three of the menstrual cycle. Um, you know, that may indicate that they're starting to have like, um, you know, diminished uh, ovarian reserve. Um, and then once the FSH starts reaching levels of like greater than 40, um, that's, going to basically indicate that ovarian function has like officially ceased, um, being, you know, menopause, um, other like important kind of labs to consider thyroid obviously is going to be good. Um, iron labs, lipids, um, serum prolactin, because that can also lead to amenorrhea and and whatnot. Um, and then serum HCG, uh, and other, you know, just random, CMP and workups like that, but you do want to get a a full picture to make sure that there's no other uh, potential causes that could, you know, lead to this, these symptoms and whatnot.
1: Right. Um, And kind of merging into treatment options, it's important to mention that uh, menopause is not a disease. It's a natural life event that comes with aging. The primary goals for menopause are to relieve symptoms and improve quality of life while reducing or minimizing adverse effects of therapy or whatever we're using. Um, so it's just, to, to help with symptoms, improve quality of life during this period. So this can be best achieved, of course, by treating very individually based on the patient's goals, uh, medically, socially, uh, what their family history is like and kind of what they're looking to get out of, um, their symptom management, um, But in women with moderate to severe hot flashes and vulvovaginal symptoms, um, MHT, which is menopausal hormone therapy, is the treatment of choice unless it's contraindicated. So
0: that's, you know, it's important to kind of also consider, like Cole said, the, the symptoms and, and what type of symptoms are most problematic, because that's going to really dictate where we go with treatment. Um, so we the two main types of symptoms, like Cole kind of mentioned, was the, the vasomotor um, as well as the vulvovaginal symptoms. Some patients may have, you know, a mixture of both. Um, some may have one or the other primarily, uh, and like I said, that's going to kind of dictate where we go with therapy. Um, and then the other thing to consider would be uh, past, you know, surgical history, in particular whether or not they have an intact uterus. So, have they had a hysterectomy? Um, because that also is going to affect where we where we go with with therapy and what we're kind of allocating our um, options to. So, um, you know, we'll break it down in that you know kind of fashion. Where we'll start with uh, um and then do the face motor plus vulvovaginal, and then look at vulvovaginal as as a you know single um, type of symptom. Um, but as far as you know, mild. Uh, menopausal symptoms, a lot of times lifestyle modifications can definitely help. Um, You know, Once the patients get more severe with their symptoms, this may not be as uh, helpful, but always lifestyle modifications are at least something we need to address and and make sure we're at least attempting to optimize. So, you know, making sure that patients, you know, if they're having problems with hot flashes or just temperature control in general, you know, wearing layered clothing that can, you know, be removed or added as necessary, um, lowering the overall room Temperature, if, if uh, you know the hot flashes is becoming a you know very problematic, um, you know looking at things like um, the the diet, you know one thing in particular is decreasing the intake of hot spicy foods and limiting uh, caffeine consumption, um, and then also encouraging exercise is going to help with a lot of the metabolic changes and things that are happening because obviously exercise is going to always be beneficial for patients um, regardless of the disease state, but something we should always encourage patients to do as long as they can do it safely and something that's not going to cause injury or whatnot.
1: Right. So let's say that the non-pharmacologic stuff uh, didn't work. Uh, We're not moving on to, well, let's say they have a contraindication to um, uh, menopausal hormone therapy. So there's some non-hormone options that we can use kind of split between natural products and then non-hormonal prescription medications. So some natural products that'll be tried, um, some you're probably familiar with, like black cohosh, uh, soy, red clover, evening primrose oil. Uh, there's uh, mild plant estrogens that are found in soy and red clover, and those are called phyoestrogens. Uh may help with mild symptoms, but don't usually provide the same benefit as actual estrogens. Um, but there are uh, prescription options that are non-hormonal, and these are the um, kind of SSRI, SNRI options. So there's paroxetine. Its dose is lower than the usual recommended dose for uh, depression, but then others would be like Effexor, Pristique, um, and then uh, there's also Clonidine and Gabapentin, all kind of targeting the symptom management portion and mild symptoms.
0: And I, th- I think with peroxetine in that case, the it's under a brand name, Brisdelle. Um, so that's another thing. If you ever see a prescription for Brisdelle coming through, that's that's what it actually is—just plain old paroxetine. Um You know, if if there's not a contraindication to actually using hormonal therapy in the patient, you know, we've kind of uh, gone through the risks versus benefits, and we do want to move forward with that. Um, the next big question when we're treating vasomotor symptoms only is, have they had a hysterectomy? Um, if they have, um, they so they've had the uterus removed, then we are able to use um, systemic estrogen therapy uh, added by itself at its lowest effective dose. And there is a whole bunch of different formulations now that are approved, not even counting all the different compounded formulations and whatnot. So just to kind of give you an idea, um, the estradiol formulations that um, can can be uh, used in this case that are that are indicated for systemic absorption of the estrogen. So we have a topical gel that's um, called uh, Elestrin. We have transdermal patches like Vivelle Dots, um, as well as like Climera. Um There's a vaginal ring called Femring that is, um, and we'll see when we talk about the vulva vaginal symptoms. There's another vaginal ring that. Has the same active ingredient, estradiol, but it is made for local application versus this ring. Is it made for um, systemic absorption? It's got very high systemic absorption, even though it's a ring. Um, there's also some 17 beta uh, estradiol formulations. Um, so there's like the micronized tablet, the estrace tablets, and then there's various gels. So there's uh, Estrogel um, and then also divigel. Um, so the one thing to keep in mind is with Estrogel, it's applied to the wrist and shoulder, versus divigel is applied to the upper thigh, um, where you alternate legs daily. So that the application site is important. Um, and then there's also a topical spray called evamist uh, that's applied to the inside of the forearm. Um, but again. All of those are indicated for systemic absorption of estrogen, Um, and there's also our conjugated equine estrogen, so our Premarin um, oral tablets are also an option.
1: Though it's good to know that these medications are not without their um, concerns and warnings as well, so... For instance, there is a FDA boxed warning uh, for endometrial cancer risk if given without progesterone to patients with a uterus. So Mike mentioned if they didn't have one, but if they uh, still have a uterus, there is a uh, boxed warning for endometrial cancer risk. Uh, There's some contraindications. So if they have a history of breast cancer, that's a contraindication. Uh, undiagnosed uterine bleeding, or an active uh, VTE, venous thromboembolism, all those are contraindications. There's also an increased risk of retinal vascular thrombosis, um, and then there are some more common adverse effects like edema, so swelling, uh, hypertension, headache, weight gain, depression, uh, can also increase triglycerides. With the patch, you can, of course, have some redness or irritation of the skin when it's applied topically. And then with the gels or the Evamist, um, the sprays are flammable. <laughs> so keep that away from 11-year-old boys, I would say. If it's anything like uh, Axe Spray, I think there's some, <laughs> some, some large burn marks. You know what we used to do with that stuff? <laughs> we, would, we would spray it on our arms. You probably do the same thing. I can't say that I did this. You were a pyromaniac, right? I no, mean, I was. I really wasn't, actually. Would, I, I'm actually surprised to hear
0: this about you. Well, we you. would
1: spray it on our arms and then you know light it with a match. This is not recommended, by the way. Light <laughs> it with a match, and it would f- you know flame up, but it would just burn off the axe spray. Huh. And then you get some singed hair, but then it would like fizzle out before it burned you. Well,
0: that's good news. Yeah. I have not tried that. Well, maybe you should.
1: Maybe, maybe you need a little. We
0: are just like Cole said. We are not recommending. You need that. Little... We are adults, professional. You know, stuff maybe people. I
1: never. Maybe I just watch kids do that. I I can't imagine that 11 year old me would actually do that. But people definitely. Did it in my circles.
0: Well, that's good, man. You ran with the rough (laughs) crap.
1: We were bad bad boys. Yeah, something like that. Uh, But yeah, the gels and the Ava Ava mist, I guess, Mm -hmm. is is flammable. Uh, Also, topical formulations avoid first-pass metabolism. So what does that mean? Lower doses are needed, uh, which can lower the risk for adverse effects because there's lower systemic concentrations. So good thing to be aware of.
0: Now, uh, let's talk about if the same patient comes in and they, you know, vasomotor symptoms, but they do have uh, an intact uterus, so they've never had a hysterectomy, and, you know, that's going to kind of change up uh, our therapy options. So, in that case, we need to do an estrogen with the additive uh, progesterone activity as well, because um, we need to avoid the, the blood bumps or the, the bucks warning that uh, Cole just mentioned previously. Um, we also have uh, an estrogen agonist antagonist option that we'll talk about too. Um, And basically that's something that's going to, the the progesterone component um, or the agonist antagonist is going to basically prevent that um, endometrial hyperplasia and lower the risk of endometrial cancer. So we have a few different options. We have the estradiol Levonorgestrel patch, which is the Climera Pro. Um, We also have the Estradiol Norethendrone patch, which is the Comba patch. Um, And then we have the same combo, but a tablet form, which is the um, Activella. There's a few other names for it. Um, And then there's an Estradiol Drosperinone, that's the uh, Angelique brand name, and then there's the, um, instead of Premarin, it's got the same Premarin equine estrogens, but it also mixed in um, with um, medroxyprogesterone, so that's uh, under the brand name Prempro. Um, however, it still contains estrogen products, so that increased risk of um, VTE and potentially breast cancer, sh- stroke risk, and all that kind of thing, especially in patients that are um, older, have uncontrolled hypertension and other you know, comorbidities, uh, are still in play. So those are still considered box warnings and something that we have to be cautious of, um, even though we're taking away the, the, uh, some of the risk with endometrial cancer and whatnot by adding the progesterone.
1: There's also another drug called dua which is conjugated estrogens plus basadoxafene, Bazedoxifene is a selective estrogen receptor modulator. Um, uh, so take with estrogen referred to as a tissue-selective estrogen complex, TSEC. It provides relief of vasomotor symptoms and maintenance of bone mineral density in postmenopausal women. So effectively, it can help prevent osteoporosis.
0: Yeah, and so this is like basically that the same thing as using an estrogen of progesterone just coming at it from a different standpoint so this is an alternative to the other so it's
1: still an agonist component. antagonist it's yeah. just not estrogen plus progestin
0: yep so this is another option if you're trying to avoid a progesterone so i can't say that i've seen i have seen it some but i haven't you know and it's been a while since i was in dispensing or anything but um i definitely feel like i saw the other ones a lot more so yeah. i have to check on pricing and stuff on that one i bet it's maybe up there a little bit still um, all right. So um, again, talking about uh, some of the other options, like um, there's the micronized um, estrace tablets that you could um, and where you basically add in a separate progesterone. So they use um, the you know, Estrace or Premarin, and then you use your separate progestin as, you know, if you didn't want to use a combo product. So they have like the Medroxyprogesterone, like Provera tablets. And, um, we ought, they also have the micronized progesterone, like the Prometrium. Um, the micronized progesterone may lower the risk of breast cancer and cardiovascular, um, events compared to synthetic progestins. There's some, you know, some evidence to support that. And so that may be an, an option as well as especially from a cost perspective. If you are worried about some of these more uh, expensive, like combo brand name products, um, then, then kind of making your own combination uh, may be an option as well. And uh, using something like Premarin plus Provera, to, you know, is two separate things or Prometrium. So th- those are also um, all options. But again, those are kind of thinking along the lines of a patient who has vasomotor symptoms only. Um, now the other thing would be if the patient has both vasomotor and vulvavaginal symptoms, Think of vasomotor being, uh, you know, a needed systemic estrogen, you know, on board in order to treat those symptoms. So we're kind of going the same route with with that, um, you know, the, the, with that patient population because, you know, the in that case, we want to make sure that um, we are treating the vasomotor symptoms and we're still going to get some of the vulvovaginal symptoms treated because of the systemic absorption of estrogen. Um, we don't de-escalate therapy and only use localized options unless it's just vulvovaginal.
1: Right, so essentially the these options we've been talking about so far, we're hitting vasomotor because it's systemic and it also happens to help with vulvovaginal. But mm-hmm. if it's just vulvovaginal, then you can use localized options. Um, there's creams, tablets, and rings. Um, so uh, one option is the 17 beta estradiol formulations, and there's a cream, a ring, and a tablet. So the cream is the estrace cream. So probably the most common thing that you uh, very common. There's the vaginal ring, um, Estring, and then there's the Vagifem, which is the vaginal tablets with the um, vaginal applicators. So I probably saw Estrace cream and Vagifem the most. Um, there's also primerin cream. So Primarin cream is the conjugated equine estrogens, uh, localized cream that you'll apply vaginally, um, and you don't need that uh, systemic absorption for the, the vulvovaginal symptoms. Progesterone therapy for endometrial protection is not needed with the use of low-dose vaginal estrogen. Um, uh, because there's low systemic exposure. So that's uh, a positive. Therapeutic response to vaginal estrogen therapy is typically reached after about two weeks of daily estrogen use. So a good counseling point for the patients that they're not going to get immediate benefit. Um, for maintenance therapy, doses are administered about two to three times a week. Um, so once they, they um, achieve a response, it doesn't have to be uh, daily. I remember running into a lot of issues with day supply concerns with like... Uh, uh, S trace cream and getting yeah. audited by insurance and that sort of thing. Cause they were just using it two to three times a week.
0: And and I think this is an easy thing to overlook with the vaginal ring as well. Cause the e string is something that, you know, we would we're thinking only you know the localized estrogen, um, but when we talked about the estrogen like the systemic absorption when we talk about fem ring, that one is is a different you know, has some different chemistry at place, you're going to get the systemic absorption, but they both look like estradiol vaginal rings. It would be very easy to kind of overlook mm-hmm. that, so just keep that in mind that one is meant specifically for vulvovaginal symptoms, one is meant for systemic absorption, and so don't get those those confused, yep. but I think that's a really hard and i that was a hard concept I feel like. For some of my students and stuff, to it initially was because you're thinking, okay, never had, you know, they've never had a hysterectomy. We have to combine it with a progesterone. And then you see, oh, we're going to use, you know, the E strain or Vagifam or Estrace without, and the patient has an intact uterus. That can, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's because of the low systemic absorption, like Cole said. And so just make sure that you kind of are thinking about it in that term. We're not worried about the endometrial cancer because of the low systemic exposure. Right. So. Um, some other options that we, we can do from an oral standpoint. Um, so we have uh, Aspafim, um or Asfina is the brand name. And it's basically another like estrogen agonist antagonist uh medication that is taken orally. um, And it's just working kind of the same concept as uh, we talked about earlier with just regular estrogen and whatnot is in combination with a progesterone. You're activating estrogen pathways in some tissues and basically blocking estrogen pathways in others. Um, And so we're hopefully, the concept is to kind of lower the um, systemic risk of the estrogen and and focus on just the vulvovaginal symptom relief. Um, Still does carry a box warning though, uh, because it still has uh, an estrogen type component to it, um where you have to consider the the risks and whatnot. Um, and then as far as, um, patients with, you know, contraindications. So if a, if a patient has severe hepatic impairment, um, and you know, that, that would be a reason why we would not want to use this particular medication. And it does have to be taken with food to make sure that we optimize absorption and, um, watch for, you know, GI upset and things like that. Um, other adverse effects, um, hot flashes, believe it or not. So we're, <laughs> we're basically inducing some potential, uh, vasomotor symptoms, um, some vaginal discharge, um, Um, potential muscle spasms. So there's a few kind of random adverse effects to be aware of. Um, But those are some things that we, you know, have to keep in mind and warn patients about.
1: Yep. And then thinking about the concerns over the stroke and the cancer. So there was a a trial that was launched in 1991. So I guess that was 30 years ago. Mm. My gosh. Um, uh, Called the Women's Health Initiative. And it was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial um, looking at the effects of um, hormonal therapy on heart disease, menopausal hormonal therapy on heart disease, osteoporosis, and cancer. So it had two arms, and it'll sound similar to some of the recommendations we've been making with some of these drugs. But the first arm was the estrogen plus progestin arm involving women with an intact uterus, the other was an estrogen alone arm involving women with a history of a hysterectomy. So the results were that the estrogen plus progestin arm was terminated prematurely after only 5.2 years, where the planned duration was 8.5 years, uh, because the global index statistics supported risks exceeding benefits on the major outcomes that, that we kind of talked about. So um, that's where one of the concerns comes from. The other um, uh, estrogen-only arm was terminated early uh, at 6.8 years because of the excess uh, stroke risk. So... The hormonal therapy definitely does not come without its its risks,
0: and, and just some of the the outcomes that they were looking at um, were things like um, heart disease stroke um, instances of VTE, um, invasive breast cancer, colorectal cancer, uh, hip fractures, um, overall mortality, and that global index like Cole was saying. And just some kind of endpoints to keep in mind, you know, patients that were on the estrogen and progesterone arm still, statistically speaking, still had uh, an increased risk of stroke, VTE, invasive breast cancer, even though they're using the estrogen plus progesterone. Um, the estrogen component still giving that risk. The only things that were actually um, seemed to be a little uh, improved as far as risk goes was the colorectal cancer risk and then hip fracture um, risk. And then with the estrogen only arm, um, like Cole said, the, the big concern was the stroke risk um, because that was was so high. Um, we were uh, worried about you know that causing more problems than it was then it was getting benefit and so they stopped it early um, Now I will say like if you look at things like the heart disease and and uh, those types of outcomes from a hazard ratio standpoint it was less than one um, however, when you it wasn't statistically significant so um, numerically seemed to be uh, less risk but because it wasn't statistically significant it wasn't enough to keep this study going. Um, and there are some overall like kind of consensus recommendations, um, that have been established based on the results of the study and, and, and others as well. Um, but the, some of the kind of just summary statements would be that men- menopausal hormonal therapy is definitely going to be the most effective treatment specifically when it comes to vasomotor symptoms. Um, and that's patients that are, you know, recently menopausal women. So before age 60 years or within 10 years of menopause seem to be the, the age range they get the most benefit out of it. Um, that estrogen-only therapy um, may decrease heart disease um, and all-cause mortality, specifically in patients 50 to 59 years old um, who have had a hysterectomy. So when you look at, you know, the, the trends with the overall population of that study, it was, like I said, numerically, uh, it looked like it was less risk, but didn't meet statistical significance. When they start separating it by age groups, that's when we started seeing the, the benefit there. So 50 to 59 is where we're going to optimize that. Um, potential decrease in heart disease and all-cause mortality with the estrogen therapy, um, but make sure that they've had a hysterectomy. And then it's the same thing with uh, that that age group. Um, we look at the combined estrogen and progesterone therapy arm, um, basically shows a similar trend for mortality, but the the significance and uh, difference in heart disease was not, not there. So um, a little bit different there with the progesterone combo.
1: Yeah. And because of that, um, use of hormonal therapy should definitely be individualized, uh, depending on the patient's symptom severity, uh, their personal risk factors like age, uh, how long it's been since they started menopause, their history of VTE or stroke or heart disease and breast cancer. So just make sure it's a conversation where you are um, relaying the risks and potential benefits uh, with the patient so they can make an informed decision. Uh, But based on observational studies, the transdermal hormonal therapy and low-dose oral estrogen therapy seem to have a lower risk of VTE and stroke versus the standard um, dosage of the oral estrogen regimens. Uh, So in general, try to use the lowest dose of hormone therapy possible for the shortest duration to adequately manage uh, the symptoms and reduce risk.
0: All right. So um, again, just to kind of recap. Um, so when we think about the actual patient and their particular symptoms, so vasomotor symptoms it are going to be either estrogen therapy by itself, or um, if they if if they've had a hysterectomy, or if not, if they have an intact uterus, then we're doing estrogen plus progesterone therapy. Um, again, like Cole said, the lowest dose that we can you know get by with and still get symptom relief, and then kind of reassessing as far as how if they still need it um, after a certain period of time. Then when we think about vulvovaginal symptoms, we're thinking estrogen therapy, regardless of um, hysterectomy status, because we're only using therapies that are targeted for you know, localized effect, we're not getting systemic absorption, and so um, you don't necessarily have to use, uh, or they don't recommend using the progesterone in that, you know, when we're treating that particular disease state, or that symptom type, I should say. Um, from a, a sexual function um, aspect, especially if it's mild symptoms, you know, losing lubricants and things like that um, would be a, a good option, and then low-dose estrogen therapy that's, again, localized um, in that area. Um, And then when we think of, you know, the other, you know, just overall well-being of the patient, um, that sweet spot one more time is, you know, the age 50 to 59 um, who have had a hysterectomy, that estrogen-only therapy seems to – or at least when that one study shows that it decreases heart disease and all cause mortality risk. And um so that that's the optimal age range and um, you know, past history. And then if the patient does have an intact uterus then uh we could consider the estrogen progesterone in that in that age range. Um be for the all cause mortality trend, but not necessarily the heart disease. And so you just, again, have to have realistic expectations. And also I would be pretty upfront with the risks as well, um, because these obviously are, uh, some serious risks that need to be taken, um, into consideration by the patient as well as the healthcare provider. So there you go. So that's our summary. Cold. anything else do we miss
1: I think it was good you know I always get nervous about the women's health topics because I'm always afraid I'm gonna say something dumb yeah
0: well uh, hopefully if it hasn't if we, happened yet well you say that we may have and just haven't told they haven't told us yet <laughs> so ladies if we do say something dumb please know one you can correct us and then and please do so we don't say it again and then also we're trying our best we promise we we need to uh, get an actual uh, OB specialist to come in and do some um, compound hormonal therapy I think that would be a That'd good be super episode. Cool. So I actually uh, know somebody that does this uh, in Charleston, so maybe we can hook that up. It's
1: a lot of money in that, right? I
0: guess. I'm sure. To pay
1: the big bucks for that yeah,
0: stuff. Yeah. It, it's. I think you can really personalize the hormonal therapy when you right. go the compound route too. Yep. So anyways, I um, hope that was helpful for everyone. But uh, if you have any questions or comments, concerns, you want to, any corrections, please send them our way via email or you can reach us on any of the like social media platforms and the – through the DM function, if you will, and uh, if you want to text us directly, you can use the uh, number 415 943 6116. It'll send a text, and uh, basically, you'll get an automatic response first. And then um, I'll reach out to you uh, and respond as quick as I can, you know, myself and not the automated system. But um, uh, if you like the podcast, but you also want more kind of lecture style and you don't like our tangents that we go off on sometimes, uh, then make sure you check out Patreon um, because we. We have our actual, like, lectures on there with PowerPoint slides. And I think we're just about 100 lectures on there now and um, tons and tons and tons of PowerPoint slides. And uh, we're also updating them weekly. So um, even if it's a topic that's been covered on Patreon before, as new information, new data comes out, I'm updating the slides and then redoing the lectures and reposting. So it's like $3 a month um, or, like, $30 for a year, and you get access to all of it. You can download it. You can pay $3, download it, and then, uh, you know steal all my slides and then cancel and, and all good and I, I respect the hustle and uh but no that we use the the money obviously from that to uh make the show better and um you've got some cool stuff coming up so um we're uh, we're not just buying ourselves uh, cars yeah i would <laughs> um so yeah it's it's all going back on the show to hopefully make it better for you guys but um anyways thank you guys so much for listening thanks for the continued support and we'll see you next time have a good night